Hi, welcome to the podcast. My name is Edafi Okwara. This episode is understanding who I am and the work I have done before writing this book. I believe it's a good way to kickstart the entire podcast based on my upcoming book, Compassion is What More. Thank you very much for being a part of this journey. For more information, please visit my website or subscribe to my email list with the link below. Please welcome to the stage, Adape Okporo. In the future, honesty will be valued over a good story. Adape Okporo was born in Wari Delta State, Nigeria, and currently resides in New York City. He is a public speaker, author, and executive director of RDJ Refugee Shelter in Harlem. He self-identifies as a member of the LGBT plus community that led to his displacement in 2016. He is now a refugee of the United States. Thank you. But now on to tonight's LGBTQ Pride program. Take it away, John. Thanks so much. Thanks for being here, everyone. And great to be sitting with you again, Adafe. You know, for all the people who are fleeing their homes because of climate change, because of economic despoilment, because of political violence in all of its guises, or because of entrenched racism, or because of uh, intolerance for who people are, how they are, who they love, how they love them, all of it, there's this message, and it's basically a door being slammed. And yet, there's a competing message. And people like Edafe, I think, are, you know, and, and, and people like you all for coming to events like this, or for descending to the airports after the Muslim ban, um, for opening homes, communities, places of worship, are sending this competing message. And that message is, you are welcome here. Um, and I think that hardly anyone I know, and I, I, you know, I write about this and study these topics a lot, um, hardly anyone I know both espouses and embodies that message, you are welcome here, uh, more uniquely or more beautifully than Adafe. Um, and you, you, I think you see this in so many different ways. Um, you know, he, he talked to me about, um, for this, 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 when I interviewed him and then got to know him a little bit after that as well, um, his, his work as an activist and organizer in Nigeria, uh, both with around clean water and like helping to bring health consciousness to overlooked areas and communities, to the gay scene in Nigeria, um, to his will and fortitude in detention, which after uh, his play that he performed and acted in, there was literally a line of people that were standing up to tell him how much he meant to them, how his story in detention still means to people today in detention. They point at what was formerly his bed. Um, and, you know, and, and now also as a writer and a speaker and a, an actor, um, <laughs> all, all of these things, you embody, embody and espouse that message. Um, 
there, there's, there's one more quote I want to bring up, and um, I think it's in conversation with the Arendt quote that I started with. And it comes from uh, Sam Chris and um, Ali O. May Hagen, and they're two British journalists, and they're writing about the uh, refugee crises around climate change. And they, uh, they write that um, the, the problem is not a overabundance of humans, but a dearth of humanity. And I, I, I really respect their work, and I admire it, but I also think that they're wrong. I think that we have the humanity. Uh, we have the tools and we have the heart. We just need to use it. We just need to apply it. And I think that's what Adafe is doing through the shelter that, that you know, we've already heard about a little bit. Um, through, again, going back to Nigeria, like organizing these, these gay ballroom dance parties that were also HIV testing parties. Um, so, you know, I could go on and on, um, but what I want to do is, is, is ask you about your experience there, um, how, how, how your work, your activism, your organizing in Nigeria, um, w what you were doing, and, and how eventually that work led to your needing to flee Nigeria. How did you come to find yourself in the United States and later the executive director of RDJ? So, it's a long story. I just have to say like a short version of it, but migration is not an easy voyage. Like, like there's always this sentiment that people who are coming to the United States are coming to look for a better life. That is so true, 100%. I came to the United States in 2016, days before the presidential election, because I was fleeing my country as a gay man. My country enacted a law in 2014 that criminalizes same sex by 14 years imprisonment. So it wasn't conducive for me to live in my country anymore. I had to flee. So I came to the airport. I came with a visa, so I wasn't illegal. I was supposed to stay here for six months and return. But I picked up my bag. I don't know anybody in the United States. I asked for asylum at the border. I was detained from New York. I was driven to New Jersey. I went to immigration court. I was granted asylum. And that was when like the shit started. Because I was released by 10 p.m. in the night after staying in the detention center for six months. I was detained from New York, driven to New Jersey, Elizabeth, New Jersey, in the middle of warehouses. And I was released by 10 p.m. in the night after staying inside that warehouse and not seeing sunlight for six months. Where should I go to? No family, no friend. The saga continues. So I discovered that housing was a big issue because I faced that same issue. That's why I started the organization in New York City that provides transitional housing for asylum seekers who are granted asylum, who just stumble on New York City, and they are trying to find their way through. But I want to hear a little bit about what you're doing now. And I, I wonder maybe if you could talk about how, so, you know, from when you not decided to, but were forced to come over to the US and ask for protection, um, you were detained for uh, five months around there. And when you got out, and I, I sort of alluded to this in, in my brief intro, when you got out, you, you not only landed on your feet, but somehow you were already sprinting. I mean, you were very quickly working for First Friends of New York, New Jersey. You were then are now a board member of First Friends. Um, you wrote a book, you're acting a play, you r run this shelter. Like, what about your experience uh, having to flee and then in detention, do you think prepared you or somehow let you or inspired you to 
do all this work within two years, right? So, yeah, so they say that our struggles may either paralyze us or energizes us, but my struggle would not paralyze me because of the people that made it possible for it not to paralyze me. There are so many migrants who have strengths, who are vocal, who can be visible like myself and do not have that opportunity because people, we are not there for them. If you load a picture on Instagram, if you have 10 comments within the first five minutes, that picture will have a lot of likes. Is the algorithm. When I came to America, I opened up myself to people, and people were there who were open, accepting, loving, and made it possible for me to rebuild my life in this country. People in America are very good people, but on the news, if you talk about good people, nobody will read that news. A publisher once told me that the best way to sell a story is to make it very dramatic so that people will wonder how that story was made. I could tell you everything I've done in the last two years, but I'm nothing without the people who made it possible for me to get to this point. When I came to America, I got pro bono legal counsel through immigration equality. I had five lawyers that represented me. Some people stay in detention center two years without a lawyer. So although I have created works that made it easy for me to add these connections. In addition to that, it just makes you feel like you want to go back to your country where you are suffering persecution from. If you don't know, know now. In 1981, when Ronald Reagan was president, detention center came back to deter Asian migrants from coming into this country. In 1982, it was expanded, and the memos in Reagan administration show historically that people in America have instituted this system to deter people with my skin color from coming into this country to be able to protect whiteness in this country. And under the Trump administration, they have increased the amount of bed space. All your tax-paying money is used to detain people from 35,000 now to 45,000 every night. People must be detained in America. And it used to cost $150 a night. Now it's $201 per night per person. You might not want to hear this, but this is the bone of the issue. Detention centers, some of them are run as private prisons. And they trade on the New York Stock Exchange. Go and look at the stock of the Star Group and all these groups that run the detention center, like Correction Corps of America. Their stock have grew day after day since 2016 to today because they are creating provision and we are all blinded by what Trump is saying on TV, but behind the television, detention centers, if you don't know, no, they're saying that they're trying to keep criminals away. The standard that they hold me to, they can't hold an ordinary American to that same standard. So if your forefathers came here and they were not held to such standard, of what use it is to hold me to such standard? Because I willingly submit myself to immigration at the border. So how am I a to Americans? If I've been living in America for three years now, and I've been a risk for that six months I was in a detention center, why have I not blown up this place? So we should, when we are thinking about immigrants, seriously, it's a big issue even between liberals, not just right-wing people. The image you have of immigrants 
It's like very disgusting. We shouldn't be. I know that character-wise and culture, people come from different places. But the same way those things look like foreign to you, if you travel to other people's country, you look foreign to them too. So if we continue to use that detention system as a way of keeping people, mm -hmm. we are continuing to create a culture that will not enable people to be able to integrate into the society, long story short. The late, um, the late Toni Morrison often said, we do language. Language is a thing that we do. And George Orwell suggests that language, um, the language we use to depict a situation informs our understanding of a situation. For example, the use of the term ethnic cleansing to describe, say, genocide. How is language currently being used around immigration to create another class of people? And how might we use language to actually combat this trend? So I'm from Nigeria. There's a popular Nigerian author, Chimamanda Ugrose Adichie. Adichie. She gave a TED talk that says, danger to a single story. And one of her quotes said, when you portray people as one thing, and as one thing only, you see those people as that thing. Before I came to America, I thought that sincerely, there was no form of corruption in America. That is the bubble we are, have outside America. The same thing inside America, people who have not traveled outside this country have a bubble about what Nigerians look like. Somebody told me that you are a refugee and you have a master's, you are not a refugee. So people think that refugees are only people who are suffering and are hungry or things like that. You can become a refugee tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you come from. It's circumstances, like they were saying earlier, if New York City is flooded and you move to Canada and seek refuge there, you have become a refugee. In 9-11, if you have seen the movie on Broadway, Come From Away, American citizens were flying from different countries back to America, but they have to clear the skyway. They stopped them in Ghana, Gardner, in Canada. That's like between um, Finland and Canada and America. Planes have to divert to that island. Canadians came out and supported those people. At that time, Americans never knew they could become refugees to another place because of the chaos that was happening at that time. So when you say that people are illegal, instead of you to say that they are undocumented, you are saying that a human being is illegal. That is a language that is used to deposit that they don't deserve to be like other people who live in the United States. And mind you, when we continue to use these languages, children who grow up are growing up to understand that Foreigners are aliens. So when you come to America, I was given a bed number, bed 26. There was a day a plane was flying from America to Mexico, and the plane crashed in California. 13 people died. Only three names were mentioned. The, the pilot, his wife, and the second pilot, because they are American citizens. Do you know what they said? And 13 other Mexican deportees. So that is how America has been, is that people who are foreign are seen as alien, are seen as illegal, are seen as less 
of people who stay in this country. By doing so, we are creating a narrative that we are better than other people, which might be true, but it's a false narrative that gives people that egomaniac sense of belonging that makes them want to marginalize other people, that when they go out of the United States, they realize that they are not so special, but that language has made them claim a sense of self that I'm a citizen of the United States of America, we shouldn't be. If all people are created equal, we should all respect everybody with dignity. No human being is illegal. No human being should be called by a number. Every human being wants to protect their name. Your name is who you are. When you die, people remember your name, put your name on trees, put your name in parks, because you want to be remembered for that name. For you to lose your name to a number, you are depositing the person. You are degrading them to like less of who they are. So language is very important. Even on our day-to-day -day life, I struggle with language. Like I don't understand trans people that much, even as a gay person. Sometimes when I want to say something, I ask questions so that I don't say something that will hurt somebody. It's the same way when it comes to like immigrants and people you consider foreign. It is good to have conversation with them, to know how to address them so that you don't devaluate who they are as a human being. You've said, in the future, there will be another Trump. <laughs> in Animal Farm, George Orwell notes how the cycles of history repeat themselves. Any cursory examination of the last hundred years of our history shows what happens when we detain and vilify groups of people based on race. What are some recent victories, and um, what do you see being done to disrupt the cycle? I don't know. <laughs> I was watching CNN the other night, Farid Zakari, and they were showing the state of hate. And this guy <laughs> is a Yale graduate. <laughs> There's a show called The State of Hate? Yeah. So it's just to explain how hate grows in America. A Yale professor came on TV I was explaining what whiteness means. Mm -hmm. That if you're like Italian, Catholics, Jews, you are not white. That you, you have to be German, maybe Czech Republic. That they should, they're not saying that diversity should not happen in America, but they should allow them to have their own clans, their own towns that should not be integrated of people of different color. One thing that I'm very proud of about America today is that although the conversation by and large is like going like on the side, but race is an issue that is coming up every day and night now that people are getting to understand that we have played on race for too long and we need to confront it as a national issue. But one thing that is very good, I feel is positive, is that young people are coming to understand that the use of social media can help us to propagate messages. And like before, I would never find a gay person from West Africa who is a refugee in America. But by the use of social media, there's bad and there's also good, it creates visibility for me to go online and scroll the internet and see that there's somebody else like me who is not just far from me. So that sense of belonging gives me that I could find places where I could feel safe. I could create community for myself also. Here in America, 
I couldn't have survived if not for ordinary day Americans who open their doors to me, decide to bring food for me in the morning, or run as volunteers for a shelter or things like that. So I would say is that there is chaos on media because media sells on those bases. Media cannot sell if there is no trauma, dramatic story. Mm -hmm. So I don't use media to score what is happening in America. If Americans are bad people, no refugee will resettle in America. And America successfully, this year, they have resettled 24,000 refugees, although the federal government is cutting. But ordinary day Americans are opening their door, running phone booths, volunteering for organizations, working as philanthropists. I have this concept of like being a bridge, that you cannot be an invisible bridge. I know of somebody, a friend of mine, he works as a president of a museum in New York City and called me one day and said, hey, Daffy, I know you are running an organization for a group that are not eligible to vote. And like politicians always want a consistent that can be able to vote. I said, I will introduce you to my core friends to do a fundraiser for your organization. So this is like a rich white guy decided to speak with an African that just came to this country to resettle. So that is hope that people still exist in the society that want to do good. That intention alone is good, but not good enough. For us to be able to combat AIDS and to be able to propagate a culture that will change the narrative, we have to use our own influence to influence the sphere of people that are around us. Like if you have Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and you have 10 people that are following you, they respect you or they are close to you. It is hard for them to fight with you. So when you see that they are saying something that is not good, don't fight with them because those platforms gain when you fight with them. But if it's a friend, call them and tell them that I have seen a refugee from Nigeria. What you say about them is not what this person say. Let me speak with you. If you want to know more, you can go to this group online. You will see refugees that are living in this country, Muslim, Christian, Jews, gays, every background, and they don't cause problems in America. If you know that and your friend does not know that, and you cannot get your friend to the point of understanding that, what kind of change do you want to happen in this country? There is no change without us getting to the point of influencing our circle. I have been around Republicans, Democrats. I don't care the people I'm around. I tell them that I'm not here to fight you, but I'm just here to explain to you, listen to me, and I will listen to you. And they have gotten to the point to listen to me and said, Kai, you have gone through this struggle to be here, and you still fight for other people. Who am I? Who have been privileged all throughout my life not to give up a few seconds of my time to listen to the story of somebody or to correct somebody when they say something that is not truth. So that is the hope I have that we as good people can be able to influence people that are ambivalent to understand that what you know can be transferred from one person to another. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Subscribe to my email list to be the first to know when the book is available for sale. Have a nice day.
I hope to see you next week when we release the first official episode of this podcast. And this podcast will be released on a weekly basis between now and the launch of the book. I hope you use the insights and principles to live a better life. Go and spread the message. Compassion is what more.